We're continuing on in our series in the book of James called The Awakening, where James is calling us to wake up and become who we've been meant to become. So what James does is he speaks to sleepy churches, and he calls us as individuals to awaken into who we've been made to become. But then he speaks to all of us collectively, and he says, become the church that you've been made to become. Become this community of people that you've been made to become. And we saw last week that words have more control over the quality of your life than you realize. And here's what happens with words. You have words that begin to form in your heart. And they start taking shape. And then in your heart, they come out to your mouth. And then you speak those words. And then here's what happens. Those words will guide the quality of your life. And not just yours, but the quality of those that you love around you in your life. So what James said last week is that our words are like the bit in a horse. And they steer that horse whichever way it's going to go, the same way that our words put direction to our life. And the same way that a small rudder steers a ship, the same way that your words steer the ship of your life and all of those that you love are on that ship of your life with you. And you take them wherever you go with those words. And those words, where do they start? In your heart, with what you believe to be true and they spill out into your life. And last week, James focused in on a positive use of our words. And this week, he gives us an intense warning about what happens when we don't tame our tongues. And what he says is, if you don't tame your tongue, it will, you will burn your life to the ground. So he's going to tell us three truths today about taming your tongue. First, the need. Second, the impossibility to tame your tongue. And then third, the one who tames you yet sets you free. James 3, 6 through 12. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or grapevine produce fruit, figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. All right, first, the need to tame your tongue. So James starts out, and he says that the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. He explains what he means by fire. It's a world of unrighteousness, meaning there's brokenness, there's chaos, there's destruction that's coming from the words that we speak. And it stains our whole bodies. It will set on fire the entire course of your life. 
And it doesn't only destroy your life. It destroys you. It stains you. Your body, mind, your soul, your spirit. And then listen to this. Matthew 5, 11, 15, 11. It is not what goes, this is Jesus. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of a mouth that defiles a person. So the tongue can direct you to God. The tongue can you direct you to emotional health, to relational health, but the tongue can also direct you away from God because it's coming up out of your heart, and so it's steering you away from God out into a desert where you are wandering alone, away from the only one who can possibly give you rest, God himself. And the tongue can, yes, bring you into emotional health, but it can also steer you into emotional destruction where you feel a loss of joy and a loss of peace and a loss of happiness and rest in your life. Your words could bring you into relational health, but it can also lead you right into caustic relationships that wreak havoc on your life. All this by the words that you speak that come out of your deep beliefs in your heart, but they're coming out in words in your life. And that's why James calls the tongue a fire. So when I was young, five years old, um, I had a friend that lived a few houses down. He was a few years older than me, so naturally all of his ideas, I thought they were fantastic. So one day he said, do you want to do something cool? And I'm like, well, he's older than me. Obviously, this is going to be cool. So I said, yes, let's do this cool thing that you have in your mind that's going to be fantastic. So he takes off running, and he goes to his house, and he comes running back with lighter fluid and some matches. So he says, come on. So we go over to this empty lot with pine trees that reach to the sky. And he makes a ring with the lighter fluid, and then he lights a match, and he drops the match down on this lighter fluid and very dry ground. And immediately what appears is a ring of fire. And this is amazing. And then it gets bigger. And he says, oh no, we need to get some water. So I say, okay. So I take off running. And I get to my house and I open up the door. I said, mom, I am really thirsty. We need two glasses of water. And so she gives me two kid-sized cups of water. So I take off running. Half of it spills along the way, and I throw it right into the fire, and it does nothing. Okay, I'm going to run back and get some more. So I go back, and I get some more, do it again. Nothing happens. Third time, I go running in, and my mom says, what is wrong, David? And immediately, I start weeping because of what I have just done. Now, I was five years old. That's why I'm weeping. So she runs out. She sees this huge fire. She calls 911, and the fire truck gets there, and I am standing there horrified as I am watching this huge fire engulf this empty lot that is inching closer and closer to all of our surrounding neighbors' houses, knowing that if these houses burn down, it is my fault. What James is saying is that our tongues will do just the same thing. Our words, when they're coming out of our mouths, we are being so careless with them that it's as if there's a little child playing with fire. Now, eventually that fire got in control. Nothing bad happened, but it could have. And there's more at stake with your words than you realize. 
Words are powerful. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will break your mind, your heart, and your soul. Are you depressed? Think of the words that you are speaking internally to yourself. These are words that you speak, but they're starting in your heart. So what are you telling yourself deep down? What is true about you, about God, about your purpose in life? Do you feel guilt and shame in your life? There are words that you are telling yourself that you are guilty and that you are shameful. And that's true. Take that in, but then you need some new words. Words that tell you that though your guilt and shame is great, the grace of God is even greater, and he has dealt with it all on the cross. You need new words to tell yourself. Do you lack strength in your life? It's all probably because of the words that you're speaking to yourself. Words that say, I've got to muster up this strength on my own, when the reality is that there is God who is before you, who holds all the strength in the cosmos, and you have access to it in him if you will just go to him. Do you keep running to the same sin over and over and over again and can't stop yourself from doing it? Well, why is that happening to you? Because you have words that you believe to be true, that somehow your actions are saying it, that you believe that this sin is going to bring more pleasure and satisfaction in your life than God can. And not just the words that you're speaking to yourself, but then the words that are coming out of your mouth. You begin to gossip about your friends. Why are you doing that? Your If you do not tame your tongue, it will destroy your marriage, it will destroy your kid's life, and it's Valentine's Day, and you won't get to do what happens if you're married on Valentine's Day if you don't choose your words wisely. And something that we need to grasp is that we always seem to have, our our tongues seem to be least tamed with the people that we love, and that shouldn't be so. Have you ever experienced someone that you love, that is even a Christian, that speaks words to you that have left you with open wounds to this day? Or have you done that to someone else? And if so, you have just experienced the impossibility to tame your tongue. And that's our second point. James says, look at all these wild animals. They have been tamed But nobody can tame the tongue. Trying to tame your tongue is like a little kid throwing water in this little water cup onto a fire that's out of control. The flames just laugh at it. The same way when you try to tame your tongue, your tongue tongue laughs at you because it is impossible to tame it. And this is what I just said is a bit disturbing. And what James says is disturbing because he just told us that if we don't tame our tongues, our lives will be ruined. And now he tells us there's no way you're going to be able to tame your tongue. And he goes on and he says, the tongue is a restless evil filled with deadly poison. And the word that he uses for restless is the same word that James used back a few chapters earlier when he talked about someone that was double-minded. And what he's getting at is now we are double-tongued. He is urging us, he's begging us to imagine ourselves as like this snake with a tongue that forks out in two directions. And this word, our words are like the bite, the poisonous bite of a snake. And here's what happens. 
The same mouth that we kiss the people we love with, we have words that bite them. And at one moment, we speak of how great God is, and at the next moment, we curse those who are made in his image. Now, realize this. God is creator. He has created mankind as the crown of his creation, his ultimate beauty, his ultimate creation, the crown of it. And, and then we curse those who are made in his image. And, and you got to imagine it like this. Imagine this painter, the, the world's greatest painter. And, he, and you love this painter. And then standing before you is the painter's masterpiece. And you look at this painting and you curse it. And you say, this is horrible. This is disgusting. I want nothing to do with this painting. That doesn't make any sense. And that's what James is saying. The words that we speak to people who are made in the image of God don't make sense. If we claim we love God, but we hate his creation, and we speak ill of his creation, there is a major problem. And he says, look, one type of fruit tree does not produce another type of fruit. It's a different thing. And you can't have salt water and fresh water coming out of the same pond. And what he's saying is that it doesn't make any sense. You claim to be a Christian, but you're not being Christ-like with your words. We need to tame our tongues, but we can't. So what in the world do we do? And James wants to help us. I want to help us. But it means we're going to have to have a complete change in our life. And we're going to have to have a whole new heart. So let's go back, chapter 1. In verse 26 and 27, James tells us what true religion is. And what he says is it all comes from a pure heart. And then right after he says that, there's a colon, which is two little dots there, as if to say everything that follows from here flows from a pure heart. And what I would argue is the rest of James, what he is saying is that everything he's saying from here on out is differentiating between someone with a pure heart and a not pure heart. Meaning this, if we can't tame our tongues, we have a heart problem. In the book of Jeremiah, the writer says, the heart is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, it is out of the abundance of our heart that the mouth speaks. So when you speak, we all speak from our heart. You can't help but do it. And when you speak, it's like a spring that is flowing out of the abundance that's happening within your heart, and then your words flow out. And so your words are busting out. And if you can't tame your tongue, which James is saying we can't, then that means our heart is sick. And everything that comes up out of it is a sickness that is infecting the people around us. And so what we need is a heart surgery. And when the Bible, and when James speaks of the heart, he's not speaking of what you think. Often when we think of the heart, we think of the emotions. But James thinks of, yes, the emotions, but also your mind and your actions. This is what, when theologians describe the heart, they call it the seat of the mind, the will, and the emotions. The seat of your thinking, of your strength to press on, and of what you feel deeply. 
And the best way to think about a heart is to think of it as a throne. And a throne requires a king. And whatever you crown as king of your life, and you have to do it, you're made to do it, so you will always do it. Whatever you crown as king is the thing that is in your heart and then telling you what to think, how to feel, and how to act. Something must occupy the throne of your heart, and something does. And that is why James says that no human can tame their tongue, because the same way the animals are not taming themselves, but it requires someone else to tame them, the same way that you cannot tame your tongue, you, whatever sits on the throne of your heart is controlling your tongue. And so while your heart is like a throne that is meant for Christ alone, look at what James says. It says, it is a hell that sets our tongues on fire. So that means there's something going on strange with hell in your heart, and we better figure out what's going on. So let's get into this. The word hell is translated as Gehenna, which is a transliteration of two Hebrew words, which means Valley of Hinnom. And here's, let me tell you about this place. This is the place where people would go and throw their trash and burn it. But something else happened at this place. Children were sacrificed there to false gods. They were burned because people felt if they sacrificed to some false god, that that god would give them what they want. Now, what, what, what's going on here? Well, the same way a false god caused people to sacrifice their children, the same way a false god that's not Christ is sitting on the throne of your heart, causing you to do some vile things in your life and if you don't and you won't even realize you're doing wrong and a false god could be anything your career your looks success approval of others power control sex it could be anything and here's what happens you put something on the throne of your heart that isn't Christ and and what hell is saying what these what James is saying hell is doing is you are coming right up to the fires of hell, and you are sacrificing good things in your life so that you can get things that you want greater than what those good things are. So you take success, success in your life. You want to be successful in your career or something. Well, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to, what James is saying is you're going to walk right up to the fires of hell, and you're going to begin to sacrifice time with your children, time with your spouse, you're gonna, your job is going to own you all because you've put the wrong thing on the throne of your heart. And again, you can do this with anything. So what's happening here? Hell is doing this to you. But we've got to make some sense of this. It's not that hell is sitting on the throne of your heart and it's not that Satan is sitting on the throne of your heart. That would be too obvious. The aromas of hell or Gehenna are rising up to the sky and they're coming up around you and you are taking the smells in and those smells are making you think, whispers in your ear of making you think of something that you could put on the throne of your heart that is not God. And you place it there. And then that thing owns you and you walk right up to the fires of hell and you begin sacrificing things in your life for it. 
hell wants you. And hell knows the best way to get you there is to whisper words about God that aren't true so that you might put something else on the throne of your heart so that in the end, hell can claim you. And and hell doesn't want you to believe in hell. It wants you distracted from hell and from Christ and from everything else so that you might find something else to put on the throne of your heart, scouring the earth, scouring your life for something that you can make most important that isn't Christ. And as soon as you find it, you put it on the throne of your heart and you begin making sacrifices in your life for that thing. And then that thing controls your tongue. Want to know why you say things to your children that you shouldn't say? Because something is sitting on the throne of your heart. And let's say that you walk into a chaotic situation and you're in the middle of doing something. Something is occupying your mind. You know what I'm talking about. Something that you've had on your mind that you can't get off of your mind. It's something that's sitting on the throne of your heart that's making you think of something that is just consuming you. And then all of a sudden, your kids start asking you for something, and they start asking you louder and louder and louder, and finally you lash out at them because they're getting in the way of the thing that you're thinking about that is more important than anything else to you in that, in that time. Christ, when he's on the throne, will never cause you to treat your kids that way. Same thing with your spouse. Same thing with the people that you love. Want to know why you gossip about your friends? Because you want something in your life. And there's a king that's sitting on the throne of your heart telling you that you want that thing. And then you see a friend who has it, and you don't. And you become raged with jealousy. And then you speak horrible things about them. Maybe not even horrible things, maybe just slight things. In order to make yourself feel a little bit better about you not having the thing that the king on your heart is telling you you should have. Want to know why you say horrible things about yourself? Because hell is causing your tongue to be set on fire because there's something that's on the throne of your heart that doesn't belong there. Telling you things that aren't true about yourself and about God. Maybe you're having a hard time. There's a, there's a, it's, okay, let me say it this way. At some point, someone is a Christian. And at some point, they begin to have these strong wants for people to know what they have just found out. And then and a lot of times what people will say, I don't know the words to speak, and that's one thing. But also another thing, if you are like, I just, I'm, I, it's not my thing to, to, to tell words to people about who Jesus is. Remember what Jesus said, it's out of the abundance of the heart that you speak your words. So if Jesus is everything to you, and he is on the throne of your heart, and he's abundant there, then words about him can't help but come out. Not in a weird way. In a real way. In an authentic way. Not where you're forcing him on people. You just are loving people around you and it's just happening. So, if we can't tame our tongues, are we done for? Yes. Unless you find the one and the only one who can at the same time both tame you and set you free. The only one who does something that seems paradoxical 
taming you, yet setting you free all at the same time. And this is our last point. The one who tames you yet sets you free. While hell wants you to think that you are in complete control of your words and you are the king of your heart, you are not. When you crown Christ as the king of the throne of your heart, he begins to tame your heart and your tongue and only he can do it. You know, the Bible in the book of Job talks about this sea creature called Leviathan. We don't really know what it is for sure, but what we do know is this is a huge sea creature and God starts talking to Job about how he tames it. Him, God, who tames this wild sea creature is the only one who has the power to tame your tongue. And he tames your tongue in such a way that he sets you free in three ways that he does it. The first way, he saves you from hell's grip on you. He saves you from all these false idols or false gods that you have put on the throne of your heart that are controlling your life, setting you right up upon the flames of hell, casting sacrifices in over and over and over again. He frees you from that. He frees you from a prison that you don't even realize you're in. And he sets you free from staining your life and your souls and burning it to the ground. That's the... That's, That's the negative way he's saving you. Saving you from those negative things, but he also saves you in a positive way. He saves you in order to make you become the version of you that you have been meant to become. He's your creator. And because he's creator, he's created you to live in such a way, and he knows that way that you ought to live. So, a a bird might say, I want to run. And this bird might say, I'm devoting my life to being a good runner. And then this bird meets God. And God takes this bird up to the top of a mountain and he says, jump off and spread your wings and fly. And the bird says, what is flying? And God says, you will see. The same way that when we take the risk and fully trust God in our life and live in all the ways that he's called us to live, it is, it is then that we begin to be free and fly above those fires of Gehenna remaining untouched by the flames of hell. And then lastly, the third way he sets us free is by the words that he speaks. He speaks words that give rest to our restless souls, longing to finally be able to sit and just be. His words give us that. And when we, who say words to the crown of God's creation, people, and we say horrible things to them, he says on our behalf, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. They are gripped by the fires of hell, by this thing that's sitting on the throne of their heart. So forgive them. And then there's a place where Jesus is being crucified between two thieves. And one of these thieves comes to the realization that there is someone, some man, but something greater than man, hanging beside him, though he was innocent. And then this thief becomes convicted of his sin And he turns to Jesus and Jesus says to him, you will be with me in paradise. Those words. And then, before Jesus is betrayed with a kiss, he's with even the one who would betray him. And he takes bread 
and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body broken for your sins. And because he spoke those words to you, and you have gripped them as the king who sits on the throne of your heart, then here's what becomes true of you. There are promises. And here are the words of those promises. He's not going anywhere. No matter how far and how fast and how hard you want to run away from him, he is the good shepherd and he will chase you down. And he will wrap you up in his loving arms and say, what are you doing? He won't let you go. And this is also true. No matter what you, there there is nothing that you can do or not do that's going to make him love you more or less. His love is constant. It's never ending. It's relentlessly chasing you. And then, what is also true is that while the fires of hell have been set upon you, he has come as the living water. And on the cross, he dumps his life out, the living water, down upon the fires of hell, dispersing it away from you, causing its grip to let go of you. You're free. But there, in the fiery hells of death, he lay. But he is the fount of living water. And so there, in the deepest parts of death, the fount of him who is life, the living water, starts springing up. And he starts doing away from any bit of hell's grip on you so you can be set free. James is always very practical. But he always brings us to the thing that we need more than practicality. Christ. So go to him. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that we would see the seriousness of this. But then at the same time, we would see the joy and the pleasure that comes with realizing that you have set us free from all of this. God, help us to wrestle with this truth and help these words to dig deep in the halls of our hearts so that we might crown you as king, Jesus. And so we might living, start living for you, not because we are so great, but because you are so great who sits upon our throne. God, change us every single day to become more of who we're made to become. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.